This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, and I teach entrepreneurship innovation as well as product design. I'm joined now in the studio by Bethany Edwards and Anna Simpson, who are the co-founders of Leah Diagnostics. Bethany and Anna, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. All right. Well, let's just get right into it and do the elevator pitch. I think I'm going to ask you, Bethany, to give us the elevator pitch. Sure. So Leah Diagnostics has developed and is commercializing Leah, which is the first flushable 100% biodegradable at-home pregnancy test. Wow. All right, I'm a little out of my comfort zone here, so maybe you can maybe you can tell me or show me what yeah, the product's all we about. We brought yeah. it, yeah. yeah. So here it is, mm-hmm. ultra thin, um, completely disposable, 100% biodegradable, and a unique way of manufacturing these kind of tests. So we're taking techniques from the paper and textile industry and mixing them with techniques from the diagnostic industry. All right, maybe you can describe because we are on radio. Describe a little bit wow, what this looks like. Yes, I can. Uh, and I'll let Anna jump in. Oh, yeah. Anna, details. you're our chief, yeah, look, co-founder yeah, and chief yeah. product officer. So, Anna, describe it. describe it for us. Yeah, so it's um, colorized. It's completely white. It's mm-hmm. made out of paper. So, mm-hmm. uh, as you would think a paper product would look like. It's um, a little bit curvy. It has a wider uh, collection area than a typical pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. That's to enable ease of use on uh, the female side. And there is a window, like a traditional pregnancy test, where you can see your results, one line for negative, two lines for positive. The product construct itself, like Bethany said, is very thin. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a paper-based non-woven housing that sandwiches a uh, proprietary test strip on our side with a biodegradable and water dispersible film window to see through. Um, The product itself has perforations to help with the actual flushability and dispersibility to speed that up in the sewer system, as well as a unique serrated um, perimeter seal to allow the device to be fully closed without using any glue at all. Okay. So, and so maybe I can describe even a little bit further. I would say the material looks to me like maybe like a coffee filter, sort of a thick coffee filter like material. It's it's sort of that white yeah. uh pa- almost paper like or or a filter paper. I mean, it looks like a filtration uh uh paper of some kind. And it's about what about 4 inches uh long and an inch wide. Mm-hmm. So, it might you might confuse it for even like a big Band-Aid, for instance, something yep. like about that size. Yeah. Uh, and um, and it is very thin, so it's it's maybe a sixteenth of an inch uh, thick, so it, it, it sits flat. How is mm-hmm. it, uh, Anna, say a little bit about how it's packaged and how I would carry it around. Uh, so the each test gets individually pouched in a completely white, unbranded, uh, nondescript pouch that's mm-hmm. uh, white craft paper on the outside. And then um, outside of that, all tests get sent with our instructions, which are right here, which Mm -hmm. we've also made an effort to redesign to be well-branded, intuitive, easy for somebody to follow. And those get um, packaged in an outer packaging, which is an envelope style, still very, very thin. Um, It's right now trifold with some of our branding on the inside, branding on the outside done in um, a creative way that is identifiable without, while being discreet 
um, from the point of nothing about it says pregnancy death at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if I were to describe that, I'd say it's a it's a trifold envelope like thing. It looks mm-hmm. about the size of a business check, something yeah. like that. Um, I mean, it almost looks like a check envelope. And then on the inside, again, to carry on the band aid analogy, it looks like maybe what you'd see a package of a of a gauze bandage or something like that. But but no 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 branding or identification Correct. on that. Okay, so. Now you got you keep you keep alluding to that discreteness thing, and I can guess, but but Bethany, why don't you tell us why that's such a big deal? Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, one of the things that we learned in speaking with hundreds of women was, you know, who hasn't hidden a pregnancy test in the trash, mm-hmm. uh, and so there's this real unmet need around privacy as well as sustainability, mm-hmm. and one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we were able to accomplish was to provide a test where women would have that discretion, yeah. and so we were able to do that by eliminating plastic, replacing the plastic with completely new materials mm-hmm. that would be water dispersible and biodegradable, which would allow women to flush the test if they choose and or save it. You can still save it if you really mm. want to. Um, and that adds that additional level of discretion and privacy and keeping it discreet, low profile. You can carry it in your wallet. Mm-hmm. You know, existing tests are really bulky, mm-hmm. um, large plastic housing units and not easy to dispose of privately, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you open a trash can and there's a pregnancy test there, it just naturally elicits a lot of conversation. So you're either having to wrap it up and hide it. Mm. And women told us stories of going to great lengths, you know, hiding them, um, wrapping them in tinfoil, all sorts of things. Um, And in wide ranges of reasons for that, right? I mean, women who are struggling with IVF Mm. also really don't like the idea of having a ton of pregnancy tests pile up in their Mm. trash. So it's it's a very, pregnancy is a very personal to everybody Mm. And there's really unique reasons why privacy is important. Testing mm. at work, testing on the go, mm. all sorts of reasons. Yeah. So I, I would have – one of the questions, if, if I had ever had that insight, which I don't think I would have, um, my question would have been, is that a big enough deal? And so how did you validate – that privacy and discreteness was a big enough deal yeah. to be able to make a difference in this yeah. market. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I mentioned focus groups and yeah. surveys with yeah. women early on. We did, you know, wide-reaching surveys to hundreds of thousands of, of women mm-hmm. in the early stages. And then additionally, we followed that up with some pretty detailed uh, and well-respected market research from a third party who mm. really looked at it from um, a concept and a go-to-market um, product development, new product concept and whether it was, you know, had um, strong viability and, and we received the highest scores that she's seen since um, Paula Dent. So wow. we, were, we were pretty <laughs> since impressed. Since Paula Dent. Wow. <laughs> That's, I think, my yeah. grandfather's yes, time. So right. yeah, yeah. And there has been no innovation yeah. in this category um, from the form factor side in over 30 years. So yeah. stiff plastic stick, you know, really coming at it from not only the privacy side, but the sustainability yeah. side. So I don't know who is best position to answer this question but somebody one of you told me the origin story where did this uh, come mm, from yeah okay <laughs> So this was part of my uh, thesis uh-huh. for my master's degree mm-hmm. at Penn, an integrated product design program, and that's where I met Anda and the entire co-founding team. Mm-hmm. Um, so it started as, um, like I mentioned, as a thesis project while I was here, and then we took it out of university and spent you know, s- some additional significant years working through the product development. So just a shout out. 
So it was yeah. a, it was actually a student project. Yes, is where it got yes, started. Yeah. Yes, yes, and awesome. um, yeah. our professor Sarah Rottenberg was one of our co-founders. Yeah, as well. wow. yeah. Wow. it's a great it's a great yeah. it's a great story yeah. here at Penn, by the way. So yes. that's 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 a yeah. a, a great story. Yep. And were were the two of you involved from the beginning? Or we started working on the business full time in 2015. Mm-hmm. Whenever we got into Dream Adventures, mm-hmm. so that was what really kind of gave us the confidence mm-hmm. and the push to do this full time yeah. and to kind of transition it from just a student project where you know we had good underpinnings of research and some early prototyping work but it, it really did involve a lot more to get it into an efficacious product and and also a mass manufacturable product yeah. mm-hmm. that's another really big deal i mean we spent a ton of time on the bill of materials and making sure that we were reducing the overall bill of materials mm-hmm. it's only three components mm-hmm. um, so there was a lot of work that we had to do in that yeah t- tell us a little bit about the and maybe this is a question for you the the unit economics here so in the existing uh, about what about how um, what are these priced at in the marketplace and and uh, what therefore does your cost structure have to look like to be competitive in this business yeah so um, in the marketplace they're anywhere from kind of 15 to 25 dollars mm-hmm. for a box of two depending on whether it's a non-digital or digital test mm-hmm. um, some of the value in the way that we've designed the test and our material sub- substitutions is that the plastic and existi- existing single-use diagnostics is 52%. So we've taken all of that out and replaced it with cellulose. Mm. So that's, um, you mm-hmm. know, the housing of these are typically around 52 cents for raw material and ours is um, less than seven. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some of the big unit economics that we're dealing with right now are on the labor side mm-hmm. and scaling our manufacturing to yeah. eliminate a lot of that labor. But it's interesting, it, none of those numbers on the cost side are very big. So this is this looks like a pretty high margin business even for the existing players. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so um, maybe you can help us walk through, just while we're at it, the channel economics as well. Bethany, how about that question? So if you yeah. buy it for $20 in Walgreens, what yeah. is Walgreens paying the manufacturer and how does that all yeah. work? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. And I will say that the pricing varies substantially between the retailers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Walgreens um, is one of the higher priced yeah. um, retailers. So typically you're going to see branded tests there for two, even if they're analog ones that could be $16.99 yeah. right in that price range. So mm-hmm. that they're higher end of the market. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Walmart is selling some of them for $9.99 for two. Yeah. But they're also moving a lot more pregnancy tests. You know, yeah. they're, they're doing about 11 million in pregnancy tests each year compared to Walgreens. Units. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so pretty big differences between the margins on you know Walmart, mm-hmm. but the trade-off is on the the volume mm-hmm. side compared to Walgreens that's mm-hmm. pricing higher. Uh, you know, margins are really anywhere from like 35 to 45 percent on the retailer side, depending for the retailer. Yeah. 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 So if they're if they're selling it for Ten dollars. That means they're buying it for six, something like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then, I mean, you got to factor in all the three PL stuff. Um, you know, there's there's some additional fees that they require and a few other things. But that's kind of and would they numbers. would the product go through distribution or would it be sold directly by the manufacturer to the retailer? 
Uh, so, I mean, there's a couple of different ways yeah. that it can be done. In our instance, we would be selling directly to mm-hmm. the retailer. Uh, and then also, I mean, we're also really exploring direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. as well because mm-hmm. we know that there's a real opportunity there to do so. Um, you know, Amazon is the number two retailer. Uh, and we also know that about 30% of all pregnancy tests are being sold online. Wow. We also know that, you know, the number two competitor is selling between 18 to 25% of all of their pregnancy test sales on Amazon. Wow. So there's a really big market just in the digital mm-hmm. space that we're pretty excited about because we've got some really strong digital marketers on our team and we've done some really impressive stats in a pretty short amount of time on yeah. the market. Side. I mean, just to state the obvious, it and it also can be shipped in an envelope. Yes. Right? Yes. Is... <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Um, right. That's right. We didn't talk about that. It yeah. can ship flat in an envelope and yeah. it's super lightweight. So, I mean, we're talking about really, really low cost on the yeah. shipping side. So, so this is a uh, a dilemma that I that I suspect a lot of startups face, which is you have a better product in in some important ways that may at scale have a better cost structure even mm-hmm. than your competitors. How, how do you think about pricing a product like that? Yeah, great question. And we're actually doing a second study on pricing right now. But one of the things that I can say there is that we know that if it's priced as the cheapest thing on the market, it's seen as being less accurate. Yeah. And we are trying to build a brand here. I mean, mm-hmm. we really are. So we do believe that there's value in being priced um, you know, on par with the branded pregnancy mm-hmm. tests. Um, in later years, I think there's plenty of opportunity to, to kind of relook at that as volume scale. But right now, for us, that's also where we need to be based on, as Anna mentioned, some of the manual labor that we're dealing with. We also believe that packaging is a branding and marketing investment, yeah. so our packaging costs right now are notably higher. All right, so Anna, let me let me uh, uh, turn to you. I, I remember, because I think I might have been in your final presentation when you were students, I, I, I have a vague recollection that mm-hmm. I saw this pretty early. And at the time, I think the feasibility was a little sketchy. So you had done some work on form factor and wouldn't it be awesome if, and you pulled out samples, right, that were non-functional. What did you have to do? That's a pretty daunting task, right, Mm -hmm. to go from a, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, to something that actually works. Uh, Anna, talk a little bit about how you went about that. Yeah, so at the beginning we did have um, this formal idea of what uh, paper pregnancy tests used by a woman would be well well designed as, and some of the basic research to theoretically understand how the technology could work. Um, so from there, we really had to do the research into the technology and learn. Um, we did a ton of reading through patents mm-hmm. on both the diagnostic side and the paper and non-woven process side to understand what materials would functionally suit the diagnostic and biodegradable and flushable needs. And then we also had to continually iterate on the product itself, the form, the feel, the rate that test actually runs mm-hmm. with women to understand, is it continually meeting the needs that our users need? Yeah. So it took us about a year and a half from that concept phase to having an efficacious mm-hmm. product where we were at uh, over 99% accuracy, competitive sensitivity for this pregnancy test. And from there, we had to carry through um, making the product ourselves. We made uh, tens of thousands in our office. We set up a manufacturing line, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly manual, with a chemist in the uh, New England area Mm -hmm. manufacturing our test strips for us. Mm -hmm. And 
through that, we were able to build the validation data that we needed to actually submit it to the FDA and get us to our FDA clearance, which we got um, at the end of last year in November of 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so I want to circle back on a few of those points, Anna. First, just as a factual question, what is a brain seed dust? Is it, is it something you can buy off the shelf in terms of the the technology that's inside? So yeah. the technology that's inside is something that you can buy off the shelf. Um, it's I mean, not literally off the shelf, but, but you can find a supplier who can give it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the lateral flow diagnostic technology for manufacturing is something that's been done for years, it's mm-hmm. ingrained in the industry. So um, if you wanted to make a pregnancy test, yeah. you could theoretically go find somebody to supply, supply you with the test strips right. and make a housing and, and submit to the FDA. And, and so the hard part is getting urine in the right place. Is that what's hard? What's The hard part um, is rethinking the manufacturing process. Okay. Our, our product needed to be rethought so we've redesigned the way the test strip is actually manufactured Mm -hmm. because we're using a new material and we've made it into only one component where the existing tests have seven seven Seven. yeah Mm -hmm. seven different pieces on there so um, we've reduced it to one component and redeveloped the way that all of the chemistry is applied to the test strip so that we can put it all on one Yeah, and I mean, there's been some additional stuff that we've done there. I mean, we've got proprietary coatings that we came up Mm -hmm. with to allow this to work the way that it needed to work, unique geometric flow paths, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of little iterations that aren't necessarily visible when you look at the product. It seems, you know, quite simple, but there's a lot of really smart, complex things that are being done that you can't necessarily visibly see. And that's on, like I mentioned, formulation adjustments and really just unique proprietary coatings that we've been able to develop. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. And I'm speaking with Bethany Edwards and Anna Simpson, who are the co-founders of Leah Diagnostics. So I want to go back to uh, what I think is a critical question. So you have this, you have a fairly simple idea. And so the details, the the what you build is going to be in the details, right? And how Absolutely. you how you get it done. So I have two questions. The first is how you decide what you need to control yourself, and how you think about working with suppliers, mm-hmm. because I'm guessing that a lot of these elements, at first glance, there are suppliers who do some of these things, and so the temptation is to work with those suppliers to get it done. Um, on the other hand, the devil's going to be in the details, and so that's going to give you the impulse to try to control it. Mm-hmm. So, Anna, how how do you think about that? Yeah, so um, when we began, we were looking at plenty of contract manufacturers mm-hmm. to work with on not only the manufacturing side, but the product development side. The, um, the reason this is special and what made it difficult is that it's completely different from the actual manufacturing process of other diagnostics. Mm -hmm. So we did work with a partner um, at the beginning, but ended up bringing the development work all back in house Mm. because um, we found we were at a point where we were just dictating what development work to try to another partner and paying them for it. So that was something that we could do ourselves. So in 2016, Bethany and I took the development work in-house on the housing coding, the proprietary coding that Bethany mentioned earlier, how to make it act like 
plastic mm-hmm. while break down like paper. And the actual construct of the pregnancy test strip and the um, geometric geometric flow patterns that Bethany mentioned earlier. Yeah, you know, I, re- I remember having a lunch with your co-founder around that time, and, and she was describing this decision. I want to underscore it because I think it's a really critical decision that startups face. You were using essentially a contract mm-hmm. R&D resource mm-hmm, where you're paying typically pretty high hourly rates uh, mm-hmm. for engineers and technicians to to do to help you with product development. You do that, of course, because you need specialized expertise that you don't have. But at some point, you made the choice to bring that in-house. My sense is that's usually what you should do. I mean, I think absolutely. it was the right call. So, Bethany, maybe speak to that decision a little bit and give our listeners some advice. Yeah, and- absolutely. Uh, you know, at the time, it was pretty a pretty painful and obviously a very um, critical decision, but one that we needed to make. I mean, I think I really do believe that if we hadn't done that, the company wouldn't be here today. We were mm-hmm. burning cash with that contract manufacturer and we weren't getting anywhere. And Anna and I knew that we could work a lot faster and iterate a lot quicker if we if mm-hmm. we brought it in-house. So, you know, we hired a Drexel co-op, we found mm-hmm. a really good chemist, mm-hmm. and we just buckled down and did it. And I mean, it made a world of difference. But it was. I mean, it was a pretty critical decision. But having that intellectual property in-house and being developed by us, I think, also was really important and pretty critical. And, you know, I think the amount of money that you spend to those contract manufacturers, you can get in-house people to be part of the team and you can just yeah. work so much faster yeah. i mean you know i brought in my wedding embosser or my um, embosser that i used to emboss my wedding invitations and we just cranked out pregnancy tests i mean ah. just like you know anna would be stirring weird mixtures mm-hmm. and like baking it in her oven like yeah. i mean you can just iterate right. so so much faster and we you know i think i do think development partners can make sense if mm-hmm. they have the expertise that you're looking for but mm-hmm. when you're de- in- inventing something that's completely right. new nobody has that expertise right. so exactly right. why not bring it in house where you're a team that's willing to work on this day and night you know Saturdays and Sundays yep. where otherwise you would just pay somebody at, at an hourly yep. rate to yeah, exactly. yeah let, let's let's put an even finer point on it so that basically the decision would be if, if you were doing something I don't know let's make let's make something up if you if you were making a new energy bar, let's say, and there were a, a, a co-packer who had a cooker extruder, knew how to operate that stuff, and you're working on formulation, it would make a lot of sense to stick with that co-packer. Because exactly, yeah. it's a fairly standard process, you don't know anything about it, and and it's not your source of competitive advantage. On the other hand, when you're essentially paying a general purpose problem solver, at uh, you know, hundred, two hundred dollars an hour to be iterating, you're better off having that internally mm-hmm. uh, and capturing that value, and probably doing it at lower cost yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, and to Anna's point, I mean, just to iterate that a little bit more, I mean, there's nobody that's making diagnostics this way, whether yeah. it's pregnancy tests or whether it's any single-use mm-hmm. diagnostic, and so because of that, there's no, you know contract manufacturer that we can run to and say, okay, start making thousands of these for us. It doesn't work that way. I mean, the fact that we did set up a small-scale manufacturing line and make tens of thousands of them by hand in our office allowed us to have really strong standard operating procedures and allowed us to know the time that it took to do each of those increments that we could then build on for semi-automation. But I mean, there's nobody that was doing this and nobody had custom equipment already set up for us. You know, or, or what we are doing requires custom equipment. So right. there's there's no huge advantage to running to a CM because 
they can't just start mass producing them. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about about the financing. So uh, I, I remember it was a bit of a challenge in the early days, but maybe Bethany, it's probably a question question for you. Yeah. Sure. Um, so the very piece, uh, first piece of funding I guess we received was whenever I entered in Temple's innovative idea business plan competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were not alum. a t- I was alum. alum. We were both Temple Temple alums. So we uh, hit the universities in Philly pretty hard for Uh, non-dilutive money. (laughs) So we got Temple. We got Temple Small Business Development, um, their their business plan competition. We did Word and Innovation Fund. Uh, I went around and entered like every business plan and pitch competition Mm -hmm. we could find to cobble together non-dilutive funding. We got the stipend when we got into Dream It. And Mm -hmm. so we had a, a nice little, you know, bit of funding that it was kind of non-dilutive that we were able to to raise sort of on our and, own. And by non-dilutive, that's a fancy name for grants. Correct. Like they're just yeah. giving yes. you cash. Free money. That's free right. Money. Free yeah. money. Went around to find free money. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Anna and I invested every everything back into the business. Mm-hmm. So the first year and a half, we didn't take a salary, which mm-hmm. was pretty brutal. Uh, we were able to get some early grants from Ben Franklin Technology Partners, mm-hmm. which is local. Um, later on, a grant from University Science Center. Um, and, you know, we did that as much as we could. And then in 2015, we raised a seed round. Uh, and then we had some follow-on funding, some from Ben Franklin, some from local investors and high nets, and are in the process of wrapping up an additional financing round. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of little steps to be able to take that money and invest it all back into product development to show, you know, the critical pieces, right, yeah. to prove proof of concept and then get ourselves to regulatory clearance mm-hmm. and, you know, get the issued patent, like all of those key things that created value to keep having us, you know, become more valuable. Yeah. What What was the most typical objection that you encountered with investors? Mm, great question. I mean, I, early on, I think it was really about, well, how do we know this is ever going to get cleared by the FDA, mm. right? I mean, just the – that was, I think, one of the biggest mm-hmm. things early on that we faced um, because early on it was a little bit like a looks like yeah. and sort of works right. kind of uh, right. thing that we were getting yeah. money off of, yeah. right? Uh, because there was, there was a decent amount of development work to do. So I think early on the risk was really around – you know, is the product going to work the way that it, it's it's saying that it's it's going to? And can they get the regulatory clearance? That mm-hmm. was a really big a big hurdle. Yeah, uh, Anna, maybe you can. We just have a minute, but maybe you could speak a little to the FDA question. So, how how do you get a product like this through the FDA? So pregnancy tests are class two devices. Mm-hmm. So um, they're low risk, but mm-hmm. not low enough risk that they're unregulated. I see. And so the actual process for a class two device um, like a pregnancy test is proving substantial equivalence to a same product um, based on functionality. Mm-hmm. So we benchmarked ourselves against the existing pregnancy tests on all of their performance metrics. And um, based off of that, we developed a plan for the testing and the data that we would we would show to the FDA. We had a meeting with the FDA before we started any of this to go over everything and get their approval Mm -hmm. on the The actual studies. Um, They provided us some feedback, a couple of additional studies, and um, we submitted 
got some feedback from for additional data, and it was about a six-month process to get approval. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming in. It was an interesting discussion. Thanks, Carl. We thanks, appreciate Carl. Having. All right, and you can learn more at meetlia.com. That's meetlia.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 